All right, a quick review of what we talked about last week. Last week, we kicked off our Christmas series, Christmas Morning, with this incredibly powerful truth that the more personal the gift is, the better the gift. And it's a powerful truth that's at play every time you give a gift and every time you receive a gift. So it's at play every time you experience Christmas and your birthday. But the reason it's worth mentioning in regard to Christmas is it's even more important because at Christmas, this was the landing point last week, God gave the most personal gift that has ever been given. At Christmas, God gave the most personal gift that has ever been given. That Christmas isn't a giveaway, it's a personal and a personalized gift where we come to recognize that through the gift of his son, God revealed that he knows our needs. He knows our desires. He's intimately dialed into our time and he's deeply aware of his place in our relationship with him and to him. He's our heavenly father and he generously gave out of his capacity as our heavenly father. And here's what we said because of the gifts of Jesus at Christmas, that God knows you better than anyone has ever known you. And he gave the most personal gift that anyone has ever given to you and for you. Now today, I want to talk about another gift that, get, that God gives us, but this one, this one doesn't always feel like a gift. Or if we're being honest, it, it never feels like a gift while we're receiving it. But to move us forward and move us toward the discussion, here's the starting question. What do you do when Christmas goes dark? What do you do when Christmas goes dark? Or to put it in the context of our series title, what do you do when a season of your life doesn't feel like morning at all, but it feels like the darkest night of your life. See, let's be honest, we all find ourselves there at some point along the way of life. And let's be even more honest, some of you, you find yourselves there right now. And so today, I want to talk about that because in the middle of the Christmas story, if you find yourself there at any point along the way of life, or if you find yourself there right now where it's not feeling like Christmas morning, but it feels like you're finding yourself in the middle of the Christmas night, the night of your life, the dark of life, if you find yourself there, you are in really good company at Christmas because the person most at the center of the events leading up to Jesus' arrival faced that in a way that we don't often stop to think about. We certainly don't like to think about at Christmas, but we can learn a great deal from her story. And this story is the story of Mary. We're going to dive right in today. Luke chapter 1 says this. It records the story of Mary this way. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So here's the setup. Mary, I mean, we all, we all know this, this. This is the Christmas story. Mary is engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. She's planning a life. She's anticipating a marriage. Joseph is preparing a home for her. And while he's preparing a home for her until they can actually be married, they can't be married until the home is prepared. He's preparing the home so that they can be married, so that they can build their life together. While all that's going on, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary, it says, was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now pay, pay attention to that last thing. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, there's something that happens throughout Scripture, and, and we're about to see it in this passage of Scripture as well, that angels are always having to, to tell people, don't be afraid. Don't, like, like, don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not, okay? And, and that's either because of their appearance, which is certainly an option when you read through some of, the, some of the Old Testament prophets and how they describe the angels. I mean, certainly it's possible that they have to tell people, don't be afraid because they look kind of afraid. They, they look, because they, they have a scary appearance. It's, it's either that 
or it's because of what their presence and their message usually meant. And, and to understand this, like in, in the Old Testament, there are 10 instances where an angel appears to someone. They almost always start by saying, if you fear not, but what happens to the people that these, that these angels come, uh, come to, uh, to, to encounter, that the, that the experience that follows after an angel has met these people is almost always something very traumatic or very difficult. It's a difficult experience. Just let me let, walk, walk through nine of these. Nine of the ten are, are deeply traumatic experiences immediately after the angel comes to see them. We have Abraham and Lot who have an encounter with angels because God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah where Lot lives and nearby where Abraham lives. They, they have an encounter and the encounter is, hey, we're about to destroy this place. You better get out because all of your friends are about to be destroyed. We have Hagar, the, 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 mis, the mistress of, of Abraham, who runs away because of poor treatment by Abraham's wife, Sarah. And in the middle of her running away, an angel tells her, go back and endure the suffering. She eventually is then sent away by Abraham and Sarah and is desperately searching for water to stay, to stay alive and encounters an angel who lets her know that things are going to be okay no matter how dark and how bleak it looks. We have Gideon, who's, uh, th there's a battle coming and there's a war for the future of Israel and uh, an angel appears to Gideon and says, you better step up, you better prepare your heart because God is wanting you at the forefront of the battle. Gideon. You're about to experience a battle. You're going to be sent into the middle of it. You're going to be at the heart of it. You're going to be at the front of it. You're going deep into the battle. You better be ready. So we have Abraham. City's about to be destroyed. Hagar. Things are going really, really bad for you. Gideon. You're about to go to war. You're about to face very real battle. Samson's mother. Hey, you're going to have a baby. Woo! Like, okay, th like this one seems good. And he's going to be enveloped in conflict his whole life. Oh. Oh, oh man. I'm, I, you're going to have a baby and God is going to raise this man up to go and fight his battles. You're going to have a baby and that baby is going to be enveloped in conflict his entire life. Elijah, he's like, go confront the king who's in open rebellion against God. It'll go real good. Like Elijah has an encounter with, with, with the angel of the Lord who says, you need to go confront the king who's in open rebellion against God. That sounds fun. Can you, can you imagine if God called you right now, like angels showed up in your living room, like, hey, I want you to go speak to the president of the United States. I want you to tell, like, some of you, you're like, oh, I'll do that. I'll, I'll go, you know, like, that's not what we're talking. This is the call to go and do something that no one wanted to go and no one wanted to do. Hezekiah, facing the destruction from the army of Assyria, God sent the angel, uh, an angel to him, and that angel would go and wipe out the camp of Assyria. But he was in, it, it happened while he was in the middle of facing potentially being wiped out by Assyria. Daniel, he's in a lion's den. You know, what I mean, we, we, like we focus on the fact that there's this cool deliverance story that happens. You know, cool, he's delivered from the lion's den. God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. But before the deliverance, he was in a lion's den. Like, like he was in a lion's den facing his death, facing the end of his story. The three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in a fiery furnace. Again, cool deliverance that happens, but they were in a furnace trying to kill them. I mean, again, like that, there's, there's 10 stories in the Old Testament where someone encounters an angel. The one that kind of seems like positive is as the nation of Israel is fleeing Egypt, the angel says the angel of the Lord went before them and walked and went behind them. 
You want to know why it had to go before them, why it had to go behind them? Because they were incredibly vulnerable because they had no protection for themselves. Then they were potentially exposed to incredible enemies that, were, that wanted to wipe them out. Again, like every time the angel of the Lord shows up in the Old Testament, things are going bad or things are about to go bad. Here's the unfortunate reality of when an angel shows up is that things aren't going well for you or things are about to not go well for you. Like, or things are already dark or things are about to get dark and God has sent an angel to let you know, hey, I just want to let you know the Lord is with you, but things are about to get a little bit dark. And this is exactly why Mary was, potent, was very frustrated, was very full of wonder, was, 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 was concerned about what kind of message this might, was, was greatly troubled. Because the presence of the angel, for everyone who knew the Old Testament, as Mary knew the Old Testament, was that when an angel comes, things either are not going well for you, and God has sent an angel to you in the middle of it, or things are about to go not very well for you. Verse 30 says this, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And you're like, okay, cool. He's the kind that's here to help me out, uh, out of my trouble. He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? In other words, I mean, I have some basic biology questions here because at this moment in time, that's impossible. Or, I mean, Mary's like given the benefit of the doubt. Oh, I got it. Okay. Do you mean this is going to happen like after I'm married, since I'm marrying someone who's like way down the genetic stream of King David, and that's why he's going to have the throne of King David? Like, you're telling me that the Messiah is going to come through my line, and he's going to be born through my, of, of my husband, and you're, you're giving me like a five-year window down the road after we're married. We have, we, we, we do everything you got to do to have a baby. We have a baby, and that baby's going to grow to be the Messiah who will take the throne of David, and he'll, like, oh, I get it. You've come to tell us that, that, that we're going to wipe out our enemies, that we're going to conquer Rome, that my son, the son that's going to be born to me and Joseph, is somehow going to be the ruler that will set Israel free. And oh, oh my goodness, that's good news. Woo! That's, that's what you've come, you've come to tell me, that things are dark and they're about to get light. Woo! And the angel answered, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Here's the translation from the angel. This isn't a five-year window. This is a five-minute window. I'm letting you know what is about to happen. And the translation really from the angel is this. Things are about to get real weird. And then things will be really good. Things are about to get really weird. So God can do something really, really, really good. Things are about to get really strange. And out of that strange, God is going to do something really big. Things are about to get really inconvenient for you. And out of that inconvenience, God is going to bring about something God's people have been waiting for for a long time. Things are about to get really dark. And out of that dark, God's going to shine his light. But Mary, I just need you to know, before there's the light and before there's the thing that everyone sees that God does and before there's the big and before there's, before there's all, all the good that God is going to do, it's going to get strange, it's going to get inconvenient, and it's going to get dark. 
Verse 38, Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, it says Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, this is her aunt and her uncle, her uncle Zechariah and her aunt Elizabeth. And within this moment, it feels like, wait, 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 what just happened? We have, we have, we have to understand there's, there's context and there's subtext, okay? Context is what's happening in culture that impacts the understanding of the story. Subtext is what's not said in the story, but is obvious from the story, okay? So the context is Mary lives in a Middle Eastern culture, highly religious culture, where a young woman was to be punished and scorned for sex before and sex outside of marriage, okay? That's the context surrounding this. So Mary reveals to her parents and to the community as they begin to understand that she is pregnant. And her story is that, the son, that this is the son of God, that this is a divine, a virgin birth, that she has never had sex, but she is, but she is somehow pregnant. And a world that cannot understand assumes that she is lying, that she is trying to avoid punishment, avoid consequence. And so the context is she is, is, is in the middle of people who do not believe her story. And because they do not believe her story, they believe she is to be cast out, to be cast away, and should be punishment. Now the subtext, we have to wonder this, why is Mary hurrying out of town to go live with her uncle and her aunt? The subtext, which seems pretty obvious here, is that Mary's own family didn't believe her story and kicked her out of home. Now, if you wanted to put a generous spin on it, the alternative is was was the alternative was to turn her over to religious authorities who very well may have done worse to her. And so they sent her away for her own good. They sent her out of town. They sent her away from society, away from culture, away from the religious authorities. They sent her to Uncle Zeke and Aunt Liz. This is about as dark as things can get, right? I mean, when your own family doesn't believe your own story, when your own family doesn't believe that you had an encounter with God, when your own family doesn't believe that you've heard from the Lord and that this is somehow the plan of God, when your own family doesn't believe you to the point that they kick you out of home, when your own family doesn't believe you to the point, like when your own family maybe, maybe believes you, but believing you means it's really inconvenient for them and so they actually send you away. You're, you're an outcast in society. You're an outcast in your own family. You have an aunt and an uncle to go. I mean, like, this is about as dark. Like, she has a fiance who, at this point in the story, we don't know if the fiance believes her. But we know, she, we know, we know he's questioning about calling the, the marriage off because of what we hear in other parts of Scripture. We know her fiance is thinking about calling the wedding off. We know this baby that, has, that she's been told will be a blessing to the whole world feels like a, a curse to her at this moment in time. And her whole world seems to be crumbling and falling apart around her. This is about as dark as things can get. And things are getting dark because she is being obedient to God. And things are getting dark because she accepted her role from God. And now here's the thing. Some of you, you feel like you've had a year like that. I mean, just, I, 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 I try to, a lot of times in, in my messages, say, say really kind of, you know, generic and, and make sure that things, you know, that everyone knows there's a place, you know, to, to dive into the story. But some of you, I know, You've had a year like that. Some of you, it hasn't been a year like that, but it's been six months like that. Where, it could, where if it could go wrong, it went wrong for you. Maybe not your entire life consumed like that, but a major chunk of your life, it just went dark. 
Maybe not your entire life, but your work life went dark. Or maybe not your work, but a relationship that you care about deeply, it went dark. Maybe you couldn't put your finger on it, but your mental health went off the rails and you feel like your inner world has been really unstable for a long stretch and your entire inner world has just gone dark. Maybe you made what was a small mistake and your attempts to make things right went all wrong and life snowballed out of your control and everything feels dark. And here's the thing and why I want to talk about this today and I want to make sure that we understand something that Mary figured out throughout the course of her story and throughout the inter- her interaction with her aunt Liz and, 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 her, and why she was able to stay obedient and stay faithful to the God who called her in the middle of this dark season, this dark stretch of her life. When life goes dark, we all tend to cling to little lights. When, when life goes dark, we go searching for, a, for any light, right? When life, goes, when, 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 when life is difficult and life is bad and life is struggle and life is hard, when life goes dark, we all want to find some little bit, of, like we, we go searching and clinging to any little light we can find. And the little lights that we so often find is we want to cling to a person right? I want, to, I want to cling to a person. There's a person who just, they always seem to be around. They always seem to be there for me. They always seem to have some wisdom. They always seem to have some encouragement. They always seem to have something. And so I'm going to cling to that relationship. I'm going to cling to that person because they're always there for me. Even and no matter how dark it is, that person's always going to be there for me. Um, sometimes when it comes to the little lights, the, the, uh, there's a little light called change. You know, every, Everything went wrong. Everything went bad. You know, the, that thing that we, that we were doing, it got us in the dark. So we got to shake things up. You know, so like there's a glimmer of hope in the idea of change. I got to make a change. So I'm going to cling to this little light. Or maybe your, your thing is like, hey, you know what? I, I don't want change. I've had enough change. I've had enough, the, all of this change is what feels dark to me. So I need to seek, seek out stability and security. You know, whatever makes me feel safe and secure, whoever makes me feel safe and secure. I'm shaking right now. And so I reach for whatever I perceive is not shaking. And so, you know, whether it's financial stability, housing stability, like relation, like if there's something that I perceive to be not shaking, I'm going to cling to that thing. Or maybe it's myself, right? Like some of us, the light that we cling to is like, it's myself. Like if I just work hard enough, I can figure this thing out. So I'm going to, so I got this little tiny light and I'm going to make sure that I like, if, if I'm the little tiny light, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to believe that if I work hard enough, I can just figure it out. I put my, my, my hope and I cling to that little light that is myself. Well, maybe it's just simply the little light of the future. You know what? I, I assume it won't always be like this. Someday things will just get better. I cling to the tiny glimmer of hope that the future isn't going to be like right now. It won't always be like this. Someday things will just get better. We cling to the little lights of people, of change, of stability, of ourselves, of our future. And again, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with all of those things. I think we, 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 we want to be able to you know, have people in our lives that we can that we can hold on to. We want change, We want to make the right changes when we're supposed to make the right changes. We want to find stability when we're supposed to find stability, find security when we're supposed to find security. We want to have belief in ourselves, like that, that we're capable people. And we want to have a belief that the future is going to be brighter than the darkness that we face right now. Like, well, nothing wrong with, with those things, but none of those little lights provide enough light to see in the dark. That, that, that's, that's the problem with the little lights. None of those little lights provide enough light to see in and of themselves. And none of those little lights provide enough light to push away the darkness. None of, I mean, if, if you combined all of those little lights, 
they don't provide enough light to see, and they don't provide enough light to push away the darkness. See, this is hard for us to hear, but we need to. See, the gift of dark is that it reveals insufficient light sources. The, the, the gift of, of, of the dark season stretches of our lives is it reveals when we have hung our lives on things that cannot sustain the weight of our lives. The, the gift of the dark is that in these moments of dark, we realize what we've been clinging to and what we've been holding on to and what we've been trying to place the weight of our lives on that cannot hold us because it's not meant to hold us because it's not big enough or strong enough or powerful enough to hold us. See, in the daylight, you may be able to walk in your own power, might be able to find enough joy and peace and the stability and security of your life. Shaking up things a, a little bit might just be enough, but in the dark, we discover that the things that we cling to aren't enough and can never be enough. And that's a gift from God. At the night that you're going through right now, if we can accept this, if we can, if we can listen to this difficult truth and embrace this, the, the, the dark is a gift from God to let us see those things for what they really are and what they aren't and what they can never be. But but in, in that, if the scripture ended there, it would be challenging and hard, but necessary. But it wouldn't necessarily be inspiring or point, point us in the right direction of what to do instead. Luckily for us, scripture's account doesn't end there. Because when she got where she was going, and when she encountered an ant overflowing with wisdom and joy from what the Lord was doing in and through her, that ant pointed her to the light that sustains us even in the darkest moments of life. It says this in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, the way we hear this and the way we read this, we read this as if, you know, Mary's coming up the road, Mary's, you know, parked her car, Mary's walking in the driveway, and Aunt Liz goes out, she's like, oh my goodness, baby girl, I just want to let you, know, like, and I don't think that's the way this happened. I think the way this happened is Mary's coming in the house, and Mary's in tears, and Mary unloads about the pain and the difficulty that she's experienced, and, the, and, and she unleashes tears, and she unleashes about the darkness that she has felt, and how alone she's felt, and how in despair she's felt, and how everything has changed, and nothing is stable, and all of this you know, just does what you would do and what I would do in this situation when someone is finally willing to listen. And I think Aunt Liz sits in front of her with, you know, over, over coffee. And they're sitting at the table. And I think this is, instead of one of those like warm greeting moments, this is one of those over the kitchen table with just a single light pointing over. And after hearing the story, her aunt goes, I just want to let you know, you are highly favored and you are blessed because you've believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to you. And baby girl, I want you to never forget that. This is those whispers and those hushed tones. This is, this, is, this is an aunt speaking in love and speaking in courage and speaking encouragement to a soul that deeply needed encouragement. And the translation is this, blessed are you because you have chosen to receive God's gift 
that resulted in the dark. Blessed are you because you have chosen that God is light even when life is dark. And blessed are you because you followed God into the dark. Because you know he's the light and you know he will bring light out of your dark. You're blessed even though it doesn't feel like a blessing. You're blessed even though you're not experiencing a blessing right now. And what we find is that these words lifted Mary's soul. And we're told this in verse 46. And this is Mary's response. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. It says this, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So here's what Mary did. Mary knew that, and Elizabeth knew, there was this tendency where we all look to little lights. And Mary refused to cling to the little lights. She didn't cling to a person. She didn't cling to the idea of change, that she had to change and fight away from this darkness. She didn't cling to stability when she moved away from her home. She didn't cling to herself and her own strength, and her own power, and her own ability. She didn't cling to the future that she had once clung to as this is the answer, this is where things get better. She refused to cling to all the little lights, and she clung to the big light. Notice what Mary said. Mary's, this is the, in Scripture, this is called the Magnificat. Mary, what Mary said after, being, after this encouragement from her, from her Aunt Liz, Mary goes, the Lord, my God, my Savior, he, he has done this. He is doing this. He will do this. He has promised. He is delivering. He is doing this. He, 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 he. Mary resisted the urge to cling to little lights and instead held on like crazy to the big light, to the Lord and to her Savior, to her God who called her, who chose her, who made her, who knew her, who loved her. He, she clinged to the big light. And that, my friends, is the big idea, the bottom line today, that when life goes dark, you cling to the big light. When life goes dark, you cling to the big light. And in case there's any you know, lack of clarity about what, I'm, what or who I'm talking about, the big light is her God, her Savior, her Lord. It's He, it's He, it's He. It's what He's doing. It's who He has always been. It's what He's promised. It's, it's His faithfulness. It's His strength. It's His power. It's His future. So I'm not clinging to myself and my own ability. I'm not clinging to myself. I'm clinging to Himself. And I'm not clinging to my future. I'm clinging to his future. I'm not clinging to the stability and security that I can find in this world. I'm clinging to the security that I found in the, in the everlasting arms of my heavenly father. I'm not clinging to the idea of hope and change that, that I can somehow figure out how to, how to tweak this. I'm accepting from God that this is where I am right now and what he wants and what he leads and wherever he points the way, that's, who he, that's, that's what he wants and, that, and I'll, I'll cling to the change that he has and that he wants and not 
mountain change that I can figure out. And I'm going to, instead of putting my hope in people, I'm going to put my hope in God as the only relationship that can lead me forward and can lead me through and can lead me in the middle of this darkness in life. When life goes dark, you don't cling to little lights. You cling to the big light. You don't cling to the lights that reveal themselves as not enough in the dark. In the dark, you cling to the big light that is our God in heaven. That is our God, our heavenly Father, who sees further than we can see, even in the dark. Who has an endless perspective, even in the dark. Who who knows what we are experiencing, even when we don't know what we're experiencing in the dark. We cling to our heavenly Father. We cling to the big light. And if you want to know how we cling to the big light in the middle of the dark, I want to give you three words that all begin with the word F that help us understand how we cling and how we hold. Now you're like, cling, what, like, cling. Are you really talking about like grabbing on and not letting go? Yes, I'm talking about grabbing on and not letting go. We stay close to the big light. We hold on to the big light. We make sure we stay in the big light, stay with the big light, make sure that we don't move away from the big light that is our heavenly father. And here's how we do that. Three words that all begin with F. We fix, we find, and we follow. We fix, we find, and we follow. Let me start with the first one, fix. Here's what I mean by fix. You fix your eyes on Jesus. In the dark, you're like, I, 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 like, I, like, where do I look? Where do I look? Where do I look? You look to Jesus. You look for Jesus. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You fix your eyes on Jesus. And you have to fix your eyes on Jesus because your eyes naturally go anywhere else beside Jesus. Your eyes are going to look at all the problem, look at all the suffering, look at all the difficulty, look at all the problem, look at the, the, the little lights that promise you know, temporary solutions and temporary appeasement and temporary easement of your pain. And instead of looking to everything else that we so naturally, so naturally look at, we have to fix our broken eyes so that our broken eyes can be fixed on Jesus, the real source of light. Hebrews chapter 12, 2 says this, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, or in other translations, the author and the perfecter, the beginner and the completer of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We follow his example, that Jesus, who endured the pain of the cross, who endured the pain of death, so that God could bring his light into the world through him. He says, that's what, like, when we're in the dark, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus who endured all the darkness that the world could throw at him and all the darkness of the world so that he could bring the light of God to the world. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix and we focus. We fix and we focus. We fix and we focus. We keep our eyes. We take our eyes off of the things that our broken eyes want to look at and we fix them and we focus on Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. You're like, I want, when I want to look at problems, no, I look at Jesus. When I want to look for, temp, for other, uh, temporary easement of my pain, no, I look to Jesus because he's the only one who can bring me past the pain. When I want to look at all the other stuff, I fix my eyes on Jesus. We fix and we find. And when I say find, here's what I mean. In the middle of the dark, it's so easy to go, well, like, is, like what's God doing? Is it possible? Like, 
God can't be doing anything in the middle of this. It's just darkness. It's just pain. It's just suffering. It's just difficulty. And here's what I want to encourage you. Find means you identify God's activity in you, for you, and through you. You're like, because I promise you, in the dark, God is doing something in you. God is doing something for you. And God is doing something through you. God is never done working. He is always working in us. He's always working through us. He's always working for us because he's a good, loving, heavenly father. And so when I say find, I mean sometimes it's not obvious to you. You have to slow way down. You have to pay real good attention to find the thing that God is doing for you because you can't perceive it and you can't see it and you can't, in, in, in your hurried state, you can't figure it out on your own, but you need to find it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 through 9, I love the way Paul wrote this. He says, on the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him, what no eye has seen, what your eyes can't see right now without, pain, without, without an awareness of, that comes from God, what your ears can't hear without an awareness that comes from God, and what your heart can't perceive and can't conceive apart from an awareness that comes from God, God has prepared these things for those he loves and for those who love him in return. We find what God is doing in us, what God is doing for us, and what God wants to do through us. Because God, even in the dark, God is working. He is always working. He never stops working. He's working right now. If you find yourself in the dark right now and you think God can't be working in this, I got news for you. God never stops working, which means he's working right now in the midst of your darkness. And you've got to find it. You've got to open your eyes, open your ears, and open your heart in a way they maybe haven't been opened in a long time, to see and to understand and perceive what God is doing in you, through you, and for you. And the third F is simply this, to follow. We fix, we find, and we follow. And this may be the most simple one, but it's definitely, I think, the most difficult one, is to follow where the big light leads. Follow where the big light leads. Psalm 119 verse 105 says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. What he knew is that God had a lamp that would be just enough for my feet to walk confidently today, and he also had a light that would shine on my path for tomorrow. That in the dark, for so many of us, we go like, I, I, I can't take any steps. I don't, I, like, how do you walk in the dark? How do you move forward in the dark? Because you don't know where you're walking. You can't see it. it just, it's just dark. It's just dark. It's overwhelming dark. And how do you know how, where, how to walk? How do you know where to walk? And I love this promise that comes from the Old Testament, that comes from David. Your word, God, you yourself, you have a lamp for my feet so my feet can walk forward. I just need to see the next step in front of me. But God, you're not just the next step in front of me. You also provide a light for my path because you are the big light. And so, God, where you lead, where you show me that I'm supposed to take my next step, I'm going to take my next step. And God, when you illuminate the path ahead of me, I'm going to follow where you lead. 
when it seems crazy, when it seems difficult, when it seems scary, when it seems exciting but also scary at the same time, when it seems intimidating because I don't know, because I can't make sense of how it's going to work, God, I'm going to follow you because where the big light leads, I will follow. So here's the, here, as we close today, when Christmas goes dark, our response is to receive the gift. Our, our response isn't to try to fight it away, isn't to try to find temporary appeasement of it, isn't to try to cling to the little lights. Our response is to cling to the giver of the, of the gift of dark. That when Christmas goes dark, when the world goes dark, whether it's at Christmas or any other time throughout the calendar of your, of your year, when life goes dark, we receive from God what he wants to give us and what he wants to do in us and what he wants to do through us and what he wants to do for us and the dependence that he wants to build in us on him. We receive that gift and we, re and we cling to the giver of the gift. We cling to the big light that is God himself. And today for some of you, in the middle of your dark, in the middle of your deepest, darkest moments in life, in the middle of the deepest pain and suffering of life, in the middle of the deepest losses of your life, where things have gone dark in ways that, that you didn't know how, to, how you would ever make it through, unfortunately, maybe it's possible that some of you, you have clung to some little lights. You've held on to some little lights, and you found them to be wanting. And today, the good news is there is a good and loving Heavenly Father who invites you to once again cling to him. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because Christmas is more than just togetherness, and Christmas is more than just lights, and Christmas is more than just presents. It's all of that because of the goodness of God that was on display through Jesus and the gift of Jesus at Christmas. God sent a gift so that we would know that he's inviting us back to him, and we can cling to him, and we can return to him, and we can find him, and we can fix our eyes on him, and we can follow him with everything we have, even when life goes dark. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you are the big light. Thank you, God, that in a world full of little lights and a whole bunch of empty promises, God, you are a God who is a big light. You are the strong light. You are the one who is secure. You are the one who is stability. You're the one who knows all, sees all, and can lead us forward as the light that you promised to be, even in our darkest moments. So God, I pray today that we would cling to you, God, that we would refuse to attempt to cling to anything less than you, and we would cling to you as the big light that can lead us forward, as the big light that can bring us peace, as the big light that can bring us the hope that we need, can bring us the change that we need, can bring us the freedom that we need. Thank you that you are everything we need. And God, today I pray that we would have the wisdom to, to step back from any of the little lights that we've been clinging to and that we would have the courage to cling to you when it's difficult, when it's scary, when it's exciting, when, when it's intimidating, that we would fix our eyes on you, that we would find what you're doing in our lives and we would follow you everywhere you call us to go. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.